Hey everyone, this is Brie. You are listening to Brief, the podcast that summarizes all the books. This is episode two of Brave New World by Aldous Huxley. In this episode, we cover chapters seven through 18 and go over major themes. So let's just get right in. Okay, chapter seven. So Lenina and Bernard are with their native guide. They follow him to where a gathering is happening with all of the natives. There's like drums beating. A bunch of the natives are naked. They are painted and dressed in animal clothes. Lenina is disgusted by this because of the dirt and the flies and the trash. And she doesn't understand how they can be so dirty. On 110, she says, but cleanliness is next to fordliness, which is one of the sleep hypnosis things she was subjected to as a child. Bernard reminds her that these natives have never learned the ways of Ford. Lenina is still astonished when she sees an old man because in her society, old people go through procedures so that they don't age and they don't look old. So she's never seen someone in old age. She realizes that she left her soma back in her room, but she can't turn around to get it, so she can't turn to it for comfort. She's horrified by most of what she sees, and she's embarrassed when she sees a woman breastfeeding. On 111, it says, the spectacle of two young women giving breast to their babies made her blush and turn away her face. She had never seen anything so indecent in her life. Bernard, on the other hand, is delighted by this. He thinks that it's intimate. On 112, he says, I often think one may have missed something in not having had a mother. And perhaps you've missed something, Lenina, in not being a mother. So their guide comes back and takes them to the village square that is packed with natives. There's a group of masked people who begin dancing and singing. They take snakes out of a box. They start throwing them, sprinkling cornmeal and water clearly having some sort of ceremony and very suddenly there's a silence and two images an eagle and a man on a cross are raised up from the ground lenina doesn't understand this and a young man steps out of the crowd in a white cloth and the old man makes a sign of the cross on him and a man comes and whips the young boy seven times I guess he's not a boy. He's a young man, but he's whipped seven times and Lenina begins to cry. Okay, so after the man is whipped, an older man brings a feather and shakes it over the man's back and over the snakes. The drums start again and people run out of the village square. Three old women come down and retrieve the boy who was whipped and Lenina is obviously crying, wishing she had her soma. And then a different native approaches them. But he doesn't look like the other ones. He's white with blue eyes and blonde hair. He also speaks English and he asks them if they're from the other place. He talks about how he wishes he was the one who was whipped, not the other boy, because he could have taken it for longer. He wishes he could have done it instead of the other boy. But people don't like him here because of his complexion. He explains that this sacrifice that they made was to make it rain, grow corn, and to please Jesus and Pukong. The boy notices Lenina and is astonished because he's never seen a girl with her complexion or her hair. Okay, so what we find out right now is that this white boy, his name is John, throughout the book he's called John the Savage, his mother is Linda, and she comes from where Lenina and Bernard live. She came with a man that they called Tomakin to visit the Savage Reservation, just like Bernard and, 
and Lenina are now. And in the night, Linda took a walk. She fell. She hurt her head. And some hunters found her, brought her back to where she was staying. But the man had already left and left Linda there. She finds out that she's pregnant, which should be impossible because she's on a very strict regimen of birth control. So John tells them a little bit of the story. And then Linda comes out. Lenina is disgusted by her appearance because she's old and fat. To Lenina, this woman is worse than the old man. Linda sees them and she's overcome with emotion. She never thought she'd see a civilized face again. She tells them that she was a beta who had a baby despite using all of her contraception methods. She tells Lenina that now she's used to being dirty and wearing ragged clothes, but she struggled at first. Lenina is extremely disgusted by Linda and she tries to not even breathe around her and Bernard and John go for a walk. Linda tells Lenina about how the community is monogamous and the women get mad that their men come and see Linda but she has remained promiscuous. She's tried to raise John with some of the conditioning she was raised with but she couldn't so she claims he caught madness from the natives. Bernard's about to figure this out, I think, in the next chapter. But if you haven't figured it out yet, this boy, John's father, is Thomas, the director of the hatchery in London where they live. Bernard's boss, who's about to send him to Iceland. Chapter 8. Bernard tries to reconcile the life he knows with what he's witnessing right now. He asks John to tell him about his life. So John starts recounting his life, starting with his first memory is that a man threw John out of the bedroom because Linda refused to have sex with him while John was still in the room. He also remembers being in a big room with women making blankets, and Linda broke something, and they were thrown out by all of the Native women. He also tells him about a man named Pape who visits them and brings them alcohol. Him and Linda spend a lot of time together, what this man Pope brings is called mezcal, which Linda describes as being sort of like Soma, but it makes you feel bad after, whereas Soma doesn't. And John hates all of these men who come to see Linda. And one day, three women come. They whip Linda. He tried to stop them, but they push him away and whip him too. And... Linda is crying because she didn't understand why the women whipped her because in her world where she's from, you sleep with whoever you want. But these women are monogamous and she's sleeping with their husbands, their boyfriends, you know, their their men. John tries to comfort her, but he accidentally like touches a bruise that she has and she starts hitting him saying like, I'm not your mom. She says on 127, having young ones like an animal, if I hadn't been, if it hadn't been for you, I might have gone to the inspector. I might have got away, but not with a baby. That would have been too shameful. So she wouldn't go to the inspector and say, I'm from London. Please send me back because she had a child and that was unacceptable. So John is continuing telling Bernard his life story. He says that sometimes Linda doesn't get out of bed. Other times she drinks a lot. But his happiest times were when she talked about the other place. She told him about the food, the music, the games, the comforts, how nobody gets sad or angry, how clean everything is. And he tells Bernard about their creation story 
and how the world was made of fog. He talks about how he was made fun of as a child, how Linda taught him to read. When he was old enough, John tried to read Linda's only book, which was The Chemical and Bacteriological Conditioning of the Embryo. But it took him half an hour just to read the title, and he got frustrated. Eventually, Pope brought him a book that was the works of Shakespeare for his 12th birthday, and that's what he learned to read from. He was proud that he could read because the other kids couldn't, and he asked a lot of questions, but he never got the answers he was looking for. But he loved reading Shakespeare. On 132, it says, But now he had these words, these words like drums and singing and magic, these words and the strange, strange story out of which they were taken. They gave him a reason for hating Pope, and they made his hatred more real. They even made Pope himself more real. So this is still John telling Bernard his story. So one night, John decides to attack Pope. He has like a knife, but Pope woke up before he got any real damage done, and he told John that he was courageous for coming to try and attack him. And a man named Mitsima taught John how to work with clay at 15, starting with a pot. John remembers standing outside watching these two people get married, and he remembers being really sad watching their wedding because he had loved the woman. Her name is Kiyakume. He tells Bernard about how there was a ritual at the age of 16 where boys became men by going into the kiva. So the kiva is basically like a brothel, I guess, where at 16, boys go in and have their first sexual experience. John was not allowed in because he was white and also because his mom was promiscuous. They threw stones at him and he ran away. After this, John says he considered killing himself. He expresses that he is alone here and Bernard relates to that. He says he feels alone as well. On 137, he says, if one is different, one is bound to be lonely. And in this moment, Bernard comes up with the idea to bring John and Linda back to London with him. Chapter 9. Lenina and Bernard return to their rest house. Lenina obviously takes a soma and passes out. And Bernard leaves to go call and get permission to bring John and Linda back with him for scientific reasons. And while he's gone, John comes to visit and he thinks that they left because he knocks on the door and nobody answers. And so he breaks in through the window, starts going through their belongings. And then he realizes that Lenina is asleep on the bed. She's not really asleep. She's in like a soma coma. He watches her as she sleeps and is touched by how innocent she looks. And he starts reciting Shakespeare and reaches like to touch her. It says on 144, very slowly with the hesitating gesture of one who reaches forward to stroke a shy and possibly rather dangerous bird, he put out his hand, and it hung there trembling, within an inch of those limp fingers on the verge of contact. Did he dare, dare to profane with his unworthiest hand that, no, he didn't. The bird was too dangerous. His hand dropped back. How beautiful she was. How beautiful. And then he hears Bernard coming back, and he hurries and leaves. Chapter 10. Bernard and Lenina have flown back to London with John the Savage and Linda. And 
this chapter opens in the labs and we're watching the director give like a speech in the labs on 147, it says, from 1,800 bottles, 1,800 carefully labeled infants were simultaneously sucked down their pint of pasteurized external secretion. So gross. Uh, the director and Henry are discussing the importance of society rather than the individual. On 148, it says, the greater a man's talent, the greater his power to lead astray. It is better that one should suffer than that many should be corrupted. As they're speaking, Bernard enters and the director publicly denounces him. However, Bernard is prepared because he brought John and Linda with him, and the crowd is obviously horrified by Linda's appearance. She reaches out to the director, calling him Tomakin, crying, trying to get him to hug her, but he rejects her. She accuses him of making her have a baby and calls John into the room. John enters, he kneels before the director and calls him father, which we know how people feel about the word mother. It's basically a curse word, and that's the same as father. It was a comically smutty word, is how they describe it, and everyone in the room starts laughing, and the director rushes out of the room. Chapter 11. The director of hatcheries and conditioning resigns, Thomas resigns, and never goes to the center ever again. Now, everybody wants to see John. Nobody cares about Linda because she's gross in their eyes, but they all want to see John. Linda starts taking 20 grams of Soma a day. On 155, it says the Soma tablets within reach of her hand. There she remained, and yet wasn't there at all. Was all the time away, infinitely far away, on holiday, on holiday in some other world. So she's just drugged herself to the point where she doesn't have to live in the real world she can just live in her mind on her holiday this is what people do with soma especially when they're having a hard time john does not like this he doesn't like that she's taking so much soma and he tries to get the doctors to tell her to stop but they won't bernard is considered john's legal guardian and becomes all of a sudden a very important person women want to go out with him men want to hang out with him Everybody is interested in Bernard because he brought John the Savage back. Bernard brags to Helmholtz that now he can have whoever he wants, but this just makes Helmholtz sad. On 157, it says, Success went fizzily to Bernard's head and in the process completely reconciled him, as any good intoxicant should do, to a world which up till then he had found very unsatisfactory. So Bernard is just basically like on this high horse, really liking the attention that he's getting. So Bernard writes a report of John to Mustafa Mond as asked, but in the report, he also makes suggestions and this offends Mustafa Mond. John visits a factory where he sees that everybody has an identical twin. They are being carried out in assembly lines and he is sickened. And on 160, he says, oh, brave new world that has such people in it. And this is a quote from The Tempest from Shakespeare. And he loves Shakespeare, remember? he That's like all he's read in his life. Bernard takes John on a tour of the upper school where John learns about how society views the savages. On 162, it says, John learned that a savage reservation is a place where, owing to unfavorable climatic or geological circumstances or poverty of natural resources, has not been worth the expense of civilizing. 
John also discovers synthetic music boxes and how they're not allowed to learn Shakespeare in this world. On 163, it says, Our library contains only books of reference. If our young people need distraction, they can get it at the feelies. We don't encourage them to indulge in any solitary amusements. Now, I don't know exactly what the feelies means, but you can probably guess. A group of students just got back from death conditioning while John is still there. On 164, it says they learn to take dying as a matter of course, like any other physiological process. Now, Lenina also benefits off of the fame she gets by knowing John. However, most people want to know if they have had intercourse. Lenina is confused by John's actions because she can't tell if he likes her or not. He does, but he's just extremely shy and also isn't used to this world, so he's not, you know, asking her out or whatever. So Lenina decides to take John to what they call the feelies, which we just discussed, and now you're going to find out what it is, which is a show with music, sense, and sensation. So it's like a movie theater, but it includes like the seats moving and music and sense and all these things. So as they watch the movie, they physically experience it as well. And it's like this weird movie about a woman and a bunch of men. It's like an erotic film. And after the movie, Lenina makes her move. She tries to kiss him, but she's rejected. On 169, it says, He looked down at her for a moment, pale, pained, desiring, and ashamed of his desire. He was not worthy. And John goes home and reads Othello. Okay, chapter 12. Bernard has planned a party, and the highlight of this party is John, the savage, coming, and John refuses to go, and the partygoers are obviously upset. They feel like they've been lied to, and they take it out on Bernard. Lenina came to the party ready to confess her feelings to John, but he's not there. Bernard is obviously humiliated, and John is up in his room reading Romeo and Juliet. The story switches now to Mustafa Mond, who is reading a scientific paper and subsequently marks it unpublishable. On 177, it says, It was the sort of idea that might easily decondition the more unsettled minds among the higher castes, make them lose their faith in happiness as the sovereign good, and take to believing instead that the goal was somewhere beyond somewhere outside the present human sphere, that the purpose of life was not the maintenance of well-being, but some intensification and refining of consciousness and some enlargement of knowledge. So back to Lenina, she is feeling depressed. She has a difficult time losing herself in the moment. And after the party, Bernard also becomes depressed and returns to his normal conditions of being an outsider and he accuses John of betraying him. So Bernard starts talking to Helmholtz again. Helmholtz is in trouble for trying to teach one of his own poems that he wrote in one of his classes. On 182, it says, In spite of all his troubles, he seemed, Bernard thought, profoundly happy. Helmholtz and John also become friends quickly. They read Shakespeare together, and Helmholtz finds the story of Romeo and Juliet comical, which offends John because John thinks that it's beautiful and Bernard is obviously becoming jealous of their relationship. Chapter 13. 
Henry Foster, who you'll remember from the beginning, was the boy that Lenina was going out with in the beginning. He invites Lenina to have a feely. She rejects him and he suggests that she goes to a doctor. She's so distracted that she can't do her work. She couldn't remember if she had injected this embryo with sleeping sickness injection and decided not to run the risk of letting it have a second dose, and so she moved on. And then it says on 187, 22 years, 8 months, and 4 days from that moment, a promising young Alpha Minus administrator at Mwanza Mwanza was to die of trypanosomiosis. The first case for over half a century. So she's struggling, basically. She talks to Fanny about it, and Fanny encourages Lenina to just go to John and tell her that she likes him and try to sleep with him, and that will make those feelings go away. So she goes to Bernard's apartment, since that's where John is staying. John confesses his love to Lenina. On 189, he says, I wanted to do something first. I mean, to show you I was worthy of you. Not that I could ever really be that, but at any rate, to show I wasn't absolutely unworthy. I wanted to do something. He tries to explain marriage to her, but she obviously doesn't understand, and she starts undressing and advancing toward him. He becomes terrified and, from, you know, trauma as a child probably, starts yelling at her, calling her a whore, and he threatens to kill her. So she goes and hides in the bathroom And while she's in there, he gets a call and leaves in a hurry. And Lenina is kind of stuck in the bathroom, afraid that he's faking it. And then when she's sure that he's gone, she runs away. So probably not the sexual encounter Lenina was hoping for. (laughs) All right, chapter 14. John is at the hospital because Linda is dying. It's obviously uncustomary for people to care about someone dying, But John is different, and he sits with Linda, and he's very upset. He remembers his childhood and how she taught him how to read. And a bunch of kids are on a tour, and they enter the room. And they go to Linda, and they, like, examine her, look at her. They've never seen someone who looks like her. It says on 202, They had never seen a face like hers before, had never seen a face that was not youthful and taut-skinned a body that had ceased to be slim and upright. John tries to push them away forcefully, and the nurse explains to John that they're being death-conditioned. He's upset and wants them to leave, and Linda is a little bit conscious at this point, and she's confused. She thinks John is Pope, which makes him even more resentful, and Linda's upset because John manages to break through her drug haze that she's enjoying her holiday, She starts suffocating, and when John runs to get help for her, she dies. And when he gets back, she's already dead. He sobs, and the nurse asks him to control himself because she doesn't want the kids to be deconditioned. On 207, it says, Undoing all their wholesome death conditioning with this disgusting outcry, as though death were something terrible. It might give them the most disastrous ideas about the subject, might upset them into reacting in the entirely wrong way, the utterly antisocial way. She gives the children chocolate eclairs to distract them, and John gets up, pushes a kid down, and then leaves. Chapter 15. While leaving the hospital, John enters a crowd of Deltas who just ended their shift and are waiting for their ration of Soma. 
On 209, it says, He woke once more to the external reality, looking around him, knew what he saw, knew it with a sinking sense of horror and disgust for the recurrent delirium of his days and nights, the nightmare of swarming, indistinguishable sameness. Twins, twins, like maggots, they had swarmed over Linda's death. Maggots again, but larger, full-grown. Now they crawled across his grief and repentance. So he's realizing now that everyone is a twin. They all look exactly the same. All the, you know, deltas, gammas, and epsilons. And he's disgusted by this. A man distributes the soma, and the crowd is getting rowdy waiting for theirs, and John protests against soma, calling it poison. On 210, he says, Linda had been a slave. Linda had died. Others should live in freedom and the world be made beautiful, a reparation, a duty, and suddenly it was luminously clear to the savage what he must do. It was as though a shutter had opened, a curtain drawn back. Bernard and Helmholtz notice that John is gone. They get a call about his location. John is yelling at the crowd about freedom. He throws Soma through the window and says, do you want to be free and men? Do you even understand what manhood and freedom are? The crowd pushes towards him and Helmholtz joins him. He's super happy about what's happening. Bernard obviously is indifferent about helping them. He's, he tries to make it look like he's helping them, but really he's not doing anything. And on 214, it says he shouted help several times more and more loudly as to give himself the illusion of helping. The police show up and disperse the crowd by playing synthetic music and misting them with Soma. And the police take John Helmholtz and Bernard into custody. Chapter 16. The three men are brought into the controller's study. Helmholtz sits, John wanders around, and Bernard is freaking out. Mustafa Mond enters and addresses John's dislike for civilization. Mustafa Mond talks about Shakespeare, and this shocks John. He explains that it is prohibited because it is old. He says, we haven't any use for old things here. And then he also says, beauty is attractive, and we don't want people to be attracted by old things. We want them to like the new ones. Mustafa Mond explains that it's prohibited, and it isn't part of their society or stability, which is why people won't understand it. He says on 220, because our world is not the same as Othello's world. You can't make flivers out of steel and you can't make tragedies without social instability. The world is stable now. People are happy. They get what they want and they never want what they can't get. They're well off. They're safe. They're never ill. They're not afraid of death. They're blissfully ignorant of passion and old age. They're plagued with no mothers or fathers. They've got no wives or children or lovers to feel strongly about. They're so conditioned that they practically can't help behaving as they ought to behave. And if anything should go wrong, there's Soma. John says that Shakespeare is better than the feelies, and the controller agrees, but he explains that that's the price we have to pay for stability. On 220, he says, you've got to choose between happiness and what people used to call high art. We've sacrificed the high art. We have the feelies and the scent organ instead. John says that it's horrible, and the director responds, actual happiness always looks pretty squalid in comparison with the overcompensations for misery. And of course, stability isn't nearly so spectacular as instability. And being contented has none of the glamour of a good fight 
against misfortune, none of the picturesqueness of a struggle with temptation or a fatal overthrow by passion or doubt. Happiness is never grand. John expresses his dislike for the Bakanovsky groups, the twins that he despises, and Mustafa counters that they're useful because of their stability. Mustafa launches into the story of Cyprus, where they were the only alphas. Protests led to the Civil War. He also says that science has no place in stable society. He explains that extra leisure hours are wasted, so they keep their workdays long for the workers. Mustafa also dabbled in forbidden science once. He was almost sent to an island like these men are going to be. Bernard pipes up in this because he does not want to be sent to an island. He says that it was all John and Helmholtz, and he's so hysterical that Mustafa has to drug him to get him to calm down. Mustafa explains that when he became unstable and wanted to study forbidden science, they gave him a choice to become a controller or go to an island where people are individuals. And he chose to become a controller because he didn't want to be an individual. He wanted to make a difference. Or I guess not make a difference. He wanted to keep the same. He shares some history saying that science was controlled after the Nine Years' War. And he says you can either have truth or happiness, but not both. On 228, he says, one can't have something for nothing. Happiness has got to be paid for. And Helmholtz decides that he wants to go into exile. He wants to be sent to the Falcon Islands because he thinks that because it's cold, he will be able to write more. And that's what he wants to do with the rest of his life. Chapter 17. So John and Mustafa have an in-depth conversation. Mustafa explains that God existed before the Nine Years' War and that God doesn't change, but men do. And that this world that they have created, these people would not understand God, and so they don't teach about God. Mustafa reads a passage from Cardinal Newman about how people belong to God and cannot be fully independent. He then picks up a book by Maine de Byron and reads about how people turn to God as they grow because their souls yearn. Mustafa makes the argument that they're independent now because they remain young until they die, so they don't yearn. He says on 233, you can only be independent of God while you've got youth and prosperity. Independence won't take you safely to the end. Well, now we've got youth and prosperity right up to the end. What follows? Evidently, that we can be independent of God. He tells him that there's not room for God in a modern society that God isn't compatible with machinery and scientific medicine and universal happiness, and you have to make a choice. So John believes that God still manages, punishes, and rewards. Mustafa believes that God takes his cue from men. John says that he thinks people would do things patiently and courageously if they believed in God. Mustafa counters that nobody has to do anything unpleasant in society. On 237, he says, in a properly organized society like ours, nobody has any opportunities for being noble or heroic. John says that God gives people a reason for self-denial, and Mustafa argues that in an industrial society, there's only self-indulgence. So they're just having an argument back and forth. So John says there would be a reason for chastity because he believes in chastity, 
And Mustafa says that chastity equals passion equals instability equals the end of civilization. John thinks that the civilization they have is too easy. They got rid of unpleasant things and don't have to work for anything. And John says that he wants the discomforts that come with life too. But I don't want comfort. I want God. I want poetry. I want real danger. I want freedom. I want goodness. I want sin. And Mustafa Mon says, In fact, you're claiming the right to be unhappy. Chapter 18. John is in the bathroom, and Helmholtz and Bernard ask if he's okay. He responds that he's purifying himself from civilization by drinking water with mustard. This makes him throw up. I guess this is something that he did on the reservation. Bernard accepts his fate of going to an island. Helmholtz and Bernard are sent to their islands, and John is sent to this lighthouse to live out the rest of his life alone. He doesn't sleep at first. He spends hours and hours praying and living. he's just living in solitude. And on 247, it says, After those weeks of idleness in London with nothing to do, whenever he wanted anything but to press a switch or turn a handle, it was pure delight to be doing something that demanded skill and patience. He has a little food because he brought provisions before he left, but he tries to reject civilized food to prove a point. He refuses to let himself be happy, and this is like in order to honor the memory of Linda. On 247, it says, He had sworn to remember, he had sworn unceasingly to make amends, and there he was, sitting happily over his bow staff, singing, actually singing. He went indoors, opened the box of mustard, and put some water to boil on the fire. He spends his time basically torturing himself. He whips himself outside, and three Delta Minus workers witness this, and of course, run back and tell everyone. So three days later, reporters come to see John. A reporter from the hourly radio tries to interview him, but John says something in a different language and literally kicks the reporter away. Other reporters come and meet the same fate, and one day John catches himself thinking about Lenina. He punishes himself because he's supposed to, you know, be unhappy and punish himself for the rest of forever and forces himself to remember Linda. On 252, it says he flung himself against them. He embraced not the smooth body of his desires, but an armful of green spikes. He tried to think of poor Linda, but it was still the presence of Lenina that haunted him. Someone witnesses this whole thing. He had spent three days in a tree waiting for this savage to do something strange, and he caught it all on camera, and he releases the savage of Surrey, 12 days later. This brings people around to flock around John's lighthouse. They throw food at him as if he were an animal at a zoo. John is obviously angry and wants them to leave, but they all want to see him whip himself. Now, another couple appears. John is upset by the girl. It's Lenina. Lenina comes up to him and he lashes out. He starts calling her a strumpet, which is another word for like a whore or a slut. And he says over and over, kill it, kill it. And the people around them that are, you know, witnessing this begin mimicking his like gestures. He's whipping himself. He's whipping Lenina. And they start dancing and singing the hymn Orgy Porgy, which they is like their weird thing that they do as like a group orgy. The news helicopters leave 
John collapses. It says he's stupefied by Soma. When he wakes up the next day, he remembers everything and he's horrified. Really weird situation. Super weird book. Anyway, people come back the next day and they find John and he has hung himself in the lighthouse. And that's the end. (laughs) Isn't this book the worst? It's such a weird book. It's so weird. Yeah, but that's the end. So you made it. Okay, so now I'm going to go over themes. The first theme is technology and control. So obviously technology is used in this world to control their society. The world state controls every aspect of society, beginning with the Bakanovsky process, where they surgically remove ovaries, they create embryos and test tubes, and then they condition them all through the growing process to be exactly what they need them to be. This control continues after they are decanted through sleep hypnosis training up until adulthood. And then after adulthood, control comes in the form of soma. People take soma on their own whenever they are even slightly uncomfortable. And in the case that people don't want to take soma, the world state also has soma in the form of gas that they can spray into a crowd if need be. Another form of control comes in the activities available to them, especially the feelies and the things like vacuum massage. Everything is there to provide instant gratification. And when that's not available, they just take soma. So the world state controls literally everything. They also control science. What science is taught, they don't allow any scientific advancements that could damage the control that they have. They just restrict science to what they want their world to know. The second theme is individuality versus society. So obviously there is no individuality in this world. Any form of individuality is frowned upon and made fun of. For example, Bernard's small frame It makes him different from the other people in his cast, and he's painfully aware of how this makes him an individual. Helmholtz, on the other hand, is an individual because he is too smart, he knows too much, and his brain is too smart, and he longs to actually be an individual. He wants to be sent to an island so he can live how he wants to and be a writer and just be an individual. That's what he wants. But the world state sees individuality as a threat to stability, and that is their whole goal here, stability. Everyone belongs to everyone else. This is a hypnotic sleep training that they're given as children. They are obviously not monogamous. They have many lovers, never just one. They don't have families. They are required to participate in the things called solidarity services, which are basically just large orgies. Everything is for the community. And if a person becomes a threat to their community, they are sent to an island where they can be an individual and not harm this society. Okay, so the third theme is consumerism. Consumerism in Brave New World is constant, and the people are actually conditioned to consume to help their economy. They are taught to throw out old clothes instead of patching them up, that everything, you know, they're made fun of if things aren't new and nice. Every activity that they participate in costs money. And from infancy, they are conditioned to not like things like books and nature that don't, you know, feed the economy at all and instead are taught to desire things that cost money and sustain the economy. The world state conditions the people to seek happiness and comfort in the form of goods that they spend their money on. 
And it's interesting to think about this world state in relation to our world right now, especially with influencer culture. Influencers wouldn't make money if their followers felt good about themselves and felt good about what they have. These influencers literally drive consumerism by making us feel bad about ourselves and wanting the things that we don't have. And they make 15% or whatever off of what we buy because they made us feel bad about ourselves. That's pretty much what influencer culture is, is us trying to obtain something that we don't have by spending all of the money that we don't have. And I think that's interesting in relation to the consumerism in Brave New World. Okay, so the last theme that I'm going to talk about is happiness versus stability. Like I said, stability is the goal. It is the end goal in this world state. This book was written during the Depression in the early 1930s, so it's not surprising that a huge theme throughout the book is stability, stability over happiness. This world state makes stability possible by first conditioning embryos to like what they have to do for work and like their station in life. This allows for a society of people who aren't striving for better than they have or better than they are, and that makes it stable. They also use sex. They make sex and promiscuity the norm. They make it actually a virtuous thing, and they don't allow monogamous relationships or families, so they don't experience any negative emotions or really any emotion at all. And then on the off chance that a person does experience a negative emotion, there's always soma that they can take to cover it up. There are no strong emotions felt, no art or love or passion or truth to cause unhappiness. And that makes this world state stable and that is their goal. Okay, guys, that is the end of Brave New World. I hope you enjoyed this very weird book. Go follow Brief Podcast on Instagram and leave a review on whatever platform you're listening to. Thanks, guys.